0: We want to close out our our studies this evening with the subject of sexual morality. And uh, this is a subject that I want to deal with this evening, and I know we have young people in the audience, and we're going to be very mindful of them, and we're going to deal with this matter in a very discreet way. But it's an issue, and it's a subject that I think that we need to study. Uh, and it's a study, a subject that we need to study in light of the world around us. As our world gets darker and darker, one of the manifestations of darkness is a, lack, a laxness in recognizing the laws of sexuality as given by God. But then again, why would anybody care about God's laws for sexuality when no one cares about God? And so, it's important for us that we that we teach one another and we hold up the standard of God's word. ...to ourselves and to our young people and impress upon them the importance of honoring God's commandments in every aspect of their life. And again, I speak this subject with with the awareness of of, of the young people in the audience and we're going to do it in in, in a very considerate way. But I want us to look at the scriptures this evening and understand God's teaching concerning sexual morality so that we can be sure that we're grounded in the truth, so that we can understand just exactly how God views this aspect of our life and how He wants us to view this aspect of our life. And I'll be honest with you, this is something that I haven't preached on very uh, very much in the past. But as I grow older and as I look, you know, as, as you begin to get to, know, get to be an older person, there's things that you see that you just get in your mind that you think, I've got to address this. I've got to talk about this. I've, I've just got to do it. And... Uh, and, and, and sadly, whenever I teach this lesson at other places, I've had several people come up to me and just say, you know, I've never heard a lesson on that before. Or it's been a long time since I've heard a lesson on that. And so that just underscores for me the importance of looking at the subject concerning sexual morality. Our text this evening is from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 5, where Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know, whenever we look at our society today and, 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 the, and, and the lack of, of sexual restraint, we need to understand that this isn't something new but rather this is something that every generation of Christianity has dealt with in some way or the other, and especially in the days of the Apostle Paul. Because when you look at nearly every epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote, he addressed the subject of sexual morality. Because people that live in darkness one of the defining aspects of their life is sexual immorality, especially in many of the cultures of the biblical times when sexual immorality was something that was, uh, that was uh, uh, implemented in idol worship and it was something that was probably more pervasive and more open than what we have today in our culture, if we, you can imagine that. And so whenever people were coming in out of the world into the church, the subject of sexual morality was something that Paul had to address. And he speaks to us in verse number 4 and says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. The word sanctification means to be set apart. And so we're in the world, but now we're set apart from the world and we're set apart for God's purpose And one of the things that we have to understand, or another, an aspect of our sanctification is our sexual morality. And he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word sexual immorality comes from the Greek word where we get the word porn or pornography. And it means harlotry. And it literally means to indulge unlawful lust. Or as we might say, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. And again, Paul was writing to a culture and writing to a time when a lot of people that came out of the church, that's how they lived their life. But now that they're Christians, now that they're set apart for God's purpose, they can't take their bodies and join them to harlots as they did before, but now they must take their bodies and use their bodies for the glory of God. And so Paul here, speaking of their sanctification, says to abstain from sexual immorality, to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, and we'll talk about that in a moment, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, who do not know God. Whenever people don't know God, the further and further people get away from God and accountability for how they live their life, the more they gravitate to the base lust of their bodies. And so again, as we said I think this morning, it shouldn't surprise us as we see the secularization of our society taking God out of everything that the rise of sexual immorality would go hand in hand with that. And you know, sometimes we may pull our hair out and think, how can people get that way? How can we get to the point to where a man wants to go into a woman's bathroom and a woman wants to... This just seems like, it's just craziness. No, it's not craziness. It's perfectly understandable. It's depravity. If I'm not going to exalt God, if I'm not going to serve God, then the only place that I've got to go is to myself to my passions and my lust and my desires. And if I don't hold myself accountable to anyone greater than me and I am my own God, then I'm going to indulge myself in those. And not only am I going to indulge myself in those, I'm never going to be satisfied in my indulgence. And so it's just going to keep getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So the next thing, that, the next new thing that comes out You know, don't look at it and think, how? Why would people? There's a perfectly good reason why people will do that. They don't know God. They don't know God. And so, those of us who do know God, then we need to look to God's instruction concerning sexual morality. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walked. Paul, again, in this text, alluding to how the Gentiles walked. And he says, in the futility of their mind. The word futility there means the emptiness of their mind. In other words, if God doesn't fill our mind, then our minds are going to be empty And usually something that is empty, something that is not empowered by God because of our nature is going to tend to what? It's going to tend to evil. And so because of the futility of their mind, they walked a certain way. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The word lewdness that Paul uses here means licentiousness, which means promiscuous and unprincipled in sexual matters. Excess, immoderation. And so people that are futile in their mind, people that don't know God, people that are alienated from God, this is just a result that can be expected of them. They give themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So not only are they lewd and they work uncleanness, but they're greedy in it and they just can't get enough of it. And that's why you see people going to the extremes in their perversions. They're trying to find something that's not there. They're trying to find something in sex that can only be found in God. That fills the soul with a sense of life and with a sense of purpose. And that's why it just seems like it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I hear people say, you know, when is this ever going to stop? It's going to stop when people turn to God. It's going to stop when people hear the message of Christ and obey Jesus Christ. But until then, we should expect nothing different. And that's the world that our kids are growing up in. Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the sins of the Gentiles who exchanged the truth of God for the lie who worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. You know, we can get to the point to where God will give us up and as if to say, okay, if that's the way you want to be, go be that way. Just go be that way. And whenever we look at the vile passions, as Paul illustrates them, he says, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. In other words, their rebellion is so great that they're not even going to be restrained by the natural makeup of their body. Whether you believe in God or not, our bodies are equipped to function a certain way as designed by God in nature. But people will become so perverted in their sexual immorality that it's going to be, I don't care the way I am the way I am fashioned, the way I am shaped, I'm not even going to allow that to be a restraint on me. That I'm going to step beyond the bounds of what is even natural in order to try to find satisfaction for my passions. That's the extreme to which people will go. And so he says in verse 28, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality. A debased mind. I think the King James Version says a reprobate mind. And that is a mind void of judgment. It has no discernment. There is no right or wrong. They're not guided by principle. They're not guided by standard. They're simply guided by the desires and the lust of the body. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, this passage brings up a very important point that I want us to emphasize. Paul says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he makes this statement right here. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You know, whenever it comes to sexual immorality, we can be deceived into thinking that it's okay. In fact, you can look around in a lot of different religious organizations, in assemblies like churches, where people are coming together, and in the audience, you have people that are living together that aren't married. You have people in adulterous relationships that walk through the door and they're accepted. You have people in homosexual relationships that are even being ordained as leaders in these organizations. And you would think, how can anyone pick up a Bible and think that that's okay? Because they're deceived. They're deceived. And that's why it's so important that we, as a group of believers, preach a very clear and distinct message about this subject. So that our young people understand with clarity the message of the morality of our sexuality. Because if not, then we make them susceptible to deception. Notice what Paul says, "...neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God." And so Paul is saying, don't be deceived into thinking that sexual immorality is okay. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can enter the kingdom of heaven by walking and practicing in this sin. You can't. You can't. I can't. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says the same thing. So that tells me that this is not something that was just peculiar to the Corinthians. But it was something that other Christians were susceptible to and that you and I can be susceptible to, and that is the deception concerning sexual immorality. For this you know, that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you through empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul speaking very clearly about this matter. Don't be deceived. If you walk in this, if you practice this, then God's wrath will come on you. And so the message is clear. The message is distinct. And it's a message that we need to affirm to each other in the day that we live in. But I think sometimes maybe we've gotten a little hush-hush about the matter because, you know, maybe we're embarrassed to talk about it. Maybe we don't want to be considered an old fogey. You know, maybe we don't want to be labeled as old-fashioned. It's not about a matter of being an old fogey or being old-fashioned. It's about being sanctified. It's about being sanctified. If you want to be sanctified if I want to be sanctified, if we want our children to be sanctified and set apart for God's use, we have to impress upon each other the morality of sexuality. <clears throat> Marriage and sexual morality. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 2, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. What's God's answer for sexual morality? Marriage. Marriage. That that is God's remedy. He's writing to the Corinthians and he says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. The phrase there, to not touch, means to apply oneself to or attach oneself to or to marry. Paul's saying it's not good to marry. Well, for a certain circumstance (laughs) at that time, it wasn't good to marry. It's great to marry, let me tell you. It's great. But for that time, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. But he realized, okay, this is my advice. Right now may not be the best time to be married. But I also realize the danger of sexual immorality if you're trying to live single. So if it comes down to you following my advice or sexual immorality, you forget about my advice. You get a wife. You get a husband. Because that is God's remedy for sexual morality. It's marriage. And it's important for us to understand the sanctity and the honor of marriage. To our culture today, marriage is of not not much use. But as Christians, as believers in God, we have to exalt the honor and the sanctity of marriage. And show and demonstrate the beauty of marriage and the value of marriage as given to it by God and honor that and understand that this relationship that we're talking about tonight is something that is sanctified for marital use only. Marital use only. You see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24... Whenever God instituted marriage in the beginning, He said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One aspect of the one flesh experience is the physical relationship that we have with our spouse. And notice in the beginning that whenever God put man and woman together as husband and wife, it was after they are husband and wife that they become one flesh. That the experience of being husband and wife is so special, so honorable, so sanctified that the experience of physical intimacy is something that's only appropriate for the honor and sanctity of marriage. The sexual relationship shows to us the value and the honor and the dignity that God places upon marriage by saying... That's the only context, that's the only relationship that this is to be experienced in. And whenever we take that out of marriage and then we use it casually, we use it recreationally, what we're doing is defaming that upon which God has bestowed honor. And whenever we take something that God identifies as honorable and sanctified and dignified, and then we use it for some casual common use, you don't have to read through the Bible long to find out that God does not like that. When things that are holy and things that are sanctified are taken out of their place and they're used in common ways and common manners, God always reacts in a vengeful way because you're taking something that I have said is valuable and honorable and sanctified and you're defaming it. It's an affront against God when we do that. And what we're saying, God, what you say is important is really not that important. Marriage determines the lawfulness of physical intimacy. Whenever we look at the sexual sins that Paul talks about, we look at them in their relation to marriage. For instance, fornication, physical intimacy outside of the marriage bond. Now, I know in other instances, depending on the context, the word can have a different or have another nuance of meaning, but basically, its understood definition in general is outside of marriage. Adultery, a violation of the marriage bond. Homosexuality, a violation of the man-woman arrangement made by God. You see, in marriage, that determines for us the lawfulness of physical intimacy, and it's to marriage that we should look to for the sanctity, the honor, and the practice of this physical relationship. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. The word possess that Paul uses there literally means to acquire or to get for oneself. So he's saying here, in order to avoid sexual immorality, then you need to acquire for yourself your own vessel. In the word vessel, I take here to be a figure for the wife. As Paul, or rather Peter, refers to the wife as the weaker vessel in 1 Peter 3 and 7, and if you look at the context of 1 Thessalonians 4, what Paul is saying is you need to acquire... Your own wife. Acquire your own spouse. The same thing that Paul told the Corinthians. In order to avoid sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and every woman have her own husband. But notice that he says, possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The word sanctification means purity and holiness, and honor means value and dignity. That whenever I take to myself a wife, I'm not just taking to myself a wife for the purpose of my lust and my passions, but I'm taking myself a wife recognizing the sanctity and the honor of the relationship. And honoring God by that relationship and engaging in the physical intimacy of that relationship as recognition of the sanctity and honor that God gives to it. as it relates to marriage. <clears throat> in Hebrews 13, in verse 4, Marriage is honorable among all. and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. A very succinct statement about marriage and the sexual relationship. He says that marriage is honorable valuable, esteemed, worthy, held in high honor. As older people, as adults, as fathers and mothers, we have to teach our children the honor and the dignity of marriage. And I know sometimes we joke about it with with our spouse. And, uh, you know, sometimes we make light of marriage comically. Maybe it's a little comic relief to get rid of some of the stress of marriage. But... We need to let them know how valuable it is, how sanctified it is. That the messages that they see on TV where the husband is a buffoon and and the wife is a, 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 a domineering hussy, that's not what marriage is about. That marriage is about a strong spiritual man of character and integrity. That marriage is about a woman that has a, 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 a nurturing and caring and strong character about her that brings nurture and care and love to the family. And putting those two things together, there's a blessing there that you can't find anywhere else in this world. Nowhere else. But if we defame marriage, then they're going to have the casual attitude towards marriage that people of the world have towards marriage and get to the point to where it's just not necessary. Oh, it's just a sheet of paper. It's just a sheet of paper. No, it's not a sheet of paper. But rather it's a relationship that's sanctified and given honor by God. And we show our recognition of that honor and sanctity by expressing it in the physical intimacy that we share with each other in the context of that. The word bed means a lying, a place of repose, a couch, by extension, cohabitation. So marriage is valuable, and in marriage, it's okay to live together. It's okay to live together. Back home, I drove a school bus and... I'd drive down the road and I'd pick up a young lady every morning. and She's a junior high student. And then one morning I picked her up and there was two people with her. Or two, two younger boys and they got on the bus. I said, oh, are those your, are those your two brothers? She said, no, daddy got a new girlfriend. <laughs> so daddy gets a new girlfriend. So everybody just moves in and they're all one happy family. And I'm just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But that's the attitude. That's the casual attitude that people have. And that's the attitude that the generation behind us is growing. That's the attitude that my generation has. But marriage is honorable. It is to be esteemed. And living together is only sanctified in the marital relationship. Plain and simple. There's no compromising that. There's no rationalizing that. Because fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. I have an elaborate diagram here to show what we're talking about as it pertains to sexual morality and marriage. Here's marriage. It's right here. It's wrong there. It's right there, and it's wrong everywhere else. And you might look at that and think, wow, how can anybody get deceived about that? That shows the power of Satan. That's the power of Satan's deceptive work. That something so clearly explained to us in Scripture, we can think, well, I can do it a different way and be okay. But we can't. We can't. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality when it comes to sexual behavior sexual immorality we have to be active in making sure that we avoid it if we live passively in this culture that we live in we'll get swept up in the current of sexual permissiveness if we don't have conviction and if we don't have plans in place. Paul says here that you need to abstain. The word abstain means to hold oneself off, to refrain. And what it implies is that there is a draw. As we said the other day, you don't have to abstain from things that you don't like. I don't have to abstain from asparagus. I don't like it. There's no draw there. I don't have to say no to asparagus. Because there's no draw there. But if I'm trying to lose weight and you put a double meat cheeseburger in front of me, I'm going to have to go no, 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 no. Because there is a draw. And it's the same way with sexual morality. We are created by God to have those desires because He wants us to enjoy those desires. But we have to understand those desires can only be enjoyed in the context of marriage. So when those desires come up outside of marriage, we have to refrain. We have to say no. And what I want us to understand is that this word is derived from a Greek word which means to keep a distance. To keep A distance if that plant right there is poisonous that one's not I'm gonna get all the way over here (laughs) away from it I'm gonna get I'm gonna put distance between me and the plant but if that plant is poisonous and I get down here like this one little slip up one little slip up And I'm right in the middle of it. And that's the way it is with sexual immorality. When we get on our computers or we pick up magazines and we watch movies that just really get as close as it can go, is that keeping a distance? You know, our vice president is ridiculed and lampooned because of the precautions that he takes to avoid marital infidelity. I respect the man. I respect the man. He understands the dangers. He's got a plan in place. Do you have a plan in place? If you're not married, do you have a plan in place to avoid sexual immorality? If you're a married man, do you have a plan in place to avoid sexual immorality? Do you have your computer out where everybody in the family can see it when you're on on it? Or do you have people holding you accountable for what's on it? Whenever you're at the office and there's women around, are you always sure that you're never in a compromising situation with a woman? We have to be smart. Because if not, if we keep getting closer and keep getting closer and keep getting closer, eventually that time will come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18, Paul says to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The word flee means to run away from. Notice the strength of these terms. Here it is. I'm going to get all the way away from it. Here it is. It's poisonous. I'm going to turn. I'm going to flee from it. In each instance, what do, what's the picture that you see? I'm going to go away from it. Our culture in its advertising, in its television, in its movies, in its, it's all trying to draw us in. We have to put distance between us and the temptation. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Fornication, uncleanness, the word mortify that Paul uses means to deaden. To deaden. In other words, whenever the impulse or the lust comes up, I've got to deaden it. I've got to deaden it. Put it to death. As Paul says in Romans verse put, uh, put it to death through the power of the Spirit. I've got to deal with that lust. I can't deal passively with it. I have to take an active approach to it. Because again, in these instances, any passivity will eventually turn into Sin. So without great care and planning, we are apt to fall into sexual sin. What's your plan to avoid sexual sin? What's your plan? Our bodies are God's. 1 Corinthians six nineteen 19-20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is God's body. You know, we have people today walking around carrying uh, signs and and screaming and shouting about rights over their own body. This body's God's body. And this this is God's body, and it's for God's glory. And in the preceding verses, Paul is saying, you can't just take this and join it to a harlot but rather it's something that is to be looked at, again, as honorable and sanctified by God and to be used for God's glory in your body and in your spirit. You know, whenever you talk about this type of subject and you talk about sexual sins, there are people who struggle with regret. There are people who struggle with the guilt of past sexual sins. And it's important for us to understand that if we're ever in that situation, there's forgiveness for it. There's forgiveness. And whenever we look at the scriptures, as we've already looked at, a lot of the people that came out of the world were guilty of sexual sin. And Paul said, You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been justified. There is forgiveness. And so if you're in a situation tonight where uh, sexual immorality is something that you struggle with or if it's something that you have fallen victim to and, and you've sinned and you're under conviction and you live in regret for that, you need to understand that there is forgiveness for it. As we read in 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 9, Paul said, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. When Paul was talking to the Colossians, he said that they had been fornicators in times past. They walked in that. But then he said in Colossians 2 that they had all of their sins forgiven. And you might say, yeah, but those were sinners in the world and they came out of the world. But brother, I'm a Christian. I'm guilty of sexual immorality brother I'm a Christian and I struggle with sexual sin here's the thing the forgiveness for you is no different the forgiveness for you is no different you know sometimes we think that forgiveness for the Christian has different conditions than than, uh, forgiveness for the alien sinner coming in it doesn't The same cleansing and the same washing that that Jesus gives to the alien sinner, he can give to you today. Today. You know, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Are you in Christ today? You're a new creature. Whether you've been in Christ for 35 years or you've been in Christ for 35 minutes, you're a new creature. Because you're in Christ. Your life can be made fresh. Your life can be made whole. And you don't have to live under the burden of, of the guilt and the regret of sexual sins. God will take it away. 1 John 1 7 to 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. As we studied this morning, faithful means He says He's going to he, what He says He'll do, He'll do. And he will forgive you. So don't allow Satan to make you think, well, you've already blown it once, so you just might as well go have a good time. No, don't do that. Understand tonight the sanctity and the honor and the dignity of marriage and the value of the sexual relationship inside of marriage and begin tonight to honor that. David, after his... Uh, sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Call out for the mercies of God to cleanse you of your sexual immorality. I appreciate your attention tonight and hope that what we've studied will underscore the importance of this subject and the clarity with which we need to speak. To honor the dignity and the sanctity of marriage by keeping that physical relationship within the context of marriage. And to be sure that we put in place safeguards. That we're always walking circumspect and we're always aware of the temptations. And that we abstain and that we flee and that we mortify. That we can be sanctified people. That we can be sanctified people. If you've fallen victim to this sin, understand there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness. That the blood of Jesus will will, will make you cleanse and make you whole again. And restore to you your newness again. You know, sometimes when we deal with this, I get the impression, or that we leave the impression with people, well, once you've done it, you've blown it. (laughs) Repent. Be made new. And from that day, begin to start honoring the sanctity of marriage and the dignity of the sexual relationship in the context of marriage. I appreciate your attention, and you're probably thinking, wow, this is a way to end a meeting. But, <laughs> uh, and I I struggled with whether to talk about this all week long, and I talked to your elders, and they gave me the consent, so I don't think, who is this guy coming in here and telling talking to us about this? You know, I wouldn't be presumptuous to do that, but it it is something that I want us to underscore, because the battle is raging, folks, and if we don't really fully address this and be convicted in our teaching, then we're going to have young people growing up with troubled lives. You know, so many people's lives are ruined and get off course because of sexual sin. Because of sexual sin. And if we will honor it and honor God's teachings, we can raise healthy spiritual kids, we can be healthy spiritual people, I mean, again, just look at the commu- look in the communities of people that laud sexual freedom and sexual license. It, it hurts to look at them. On the one part, you want to be enraged by their debauchery, but then on the other part, you just hurt to see people in that condition and to know that there's a God that loves them. There's a God that loves them and doesn't want to be that, to be that way. So let's honor God. Let's honor marriage. And let's be people of sanctity and holiness.